Have you ever reckoned the earth much? Spend this day and night with me, and you shall possess the origin of all poems. Today's all we got, so we cannot stop. This is our block. It's really just for wine drips. Oh, you got that, boys? Only for the drip. Callie, what are you doing? Callie, no. What are you doing? Callie, he wanted me to throw you under the bus, Callie. What are you talking about? Honest to God, look. Is this heaven? Or is it just a white woman? A white woman's Instagram. As soon as I got into France and realized what it was all about, one taste of that food and I never got over it. Coming up, my top 10 films of 2021 and the second annual Film and Food Awards. Welcome to the Film and Food Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Roberts, and thank you again for joining us for episode 22. Well, I cannot believe that we have been doing this podcast for two years now. It is our second birthday and it has been an absolutely wonderful two years doing this podcast. I've had so much fun making it. It's been such a great thing to do. I've had some amazing guests on the show. I've made lots and lots of yummy things, talked about so many amazing movies and TV shows. I've been given the opportunity to write for the Tawny Frogmouth for their film and food columns and I've been doing that for over a year now. I really couldn't have imagined what place we'd be in now when I started this two years ago. And hopefully we continue to grow and make really, really exciting and good episodes as we continue on in this journey. Well, this episode is finally my top 10 films of 2021, the second annual film and food awards. It's one of my favorite episodes to record and I'm really excited to bring it to you. I do my top 10 episodes in May so I can catch up with as many movies as possible and some movies only get released later on in the year in Australia so it gives me a chance to catch as many films that came out in 2021 via the American system. We go by every film released in America in 2021 and I'm really, really excited to talk about some of my favorite movies from the year 2021. 2021 as a year for movies was an interesting one for me. I feel like every year is completely different. And this year, I had a big change in my life. My wife became pregnant at the beginning of 2021 and our daughter was born in November of 2021. And I've chosen intentionally to not watch as many movies um, and be there present with my family. And I will never regret that choice spending time with my family and it's only because I caught COVID and got to spend a week in isolation that I was able to catch up with a lot more movies that will make this list seem a bit more rounded than usual. But I was in the 20s with the amount of movies I watched from 2021. Obviously, it's not as many as I have done in other years, but I think I've got a really good top 10 that I'm really excited to share with you. Of course, You may have seen all of these movies. You may have never heard of these movies. That's the point of these top 10 lists. Not really the order or the ranking of what I put them in, but for you to hear about these movies and hopefully be inspired to go and check them out, to go and enjoy more movies. Maybe step out of your comfort zone. You may disagree with what movies I have on this list and what movies I place higher than others, and that's completely okay. 
you can go make your own top 10 21 list, of course. But this is my list and I'm really happy to share it with you this episode. So let's dive into this episode. I am doing my top 10 films of 2021 and presenting the second annual Film and Food Awards. I'll quickly talk about the second annual Film and Food Awards. I started this last year as a bit of a fun way to talk about all of the food and all of the drinks and all of the foodie movies that came out in that year. So I believe First Cow won our Best Film and Food Award for the year 2020, last year. Who is going to win this year? We have all sorts of categories that we give awards out to. This is just a fun way to celebrate all the food and all the drinks and all of the good foodie moments that happened in films in 2021. So we may as well dive right into our categories. This year, our categories are best food, best drink, the best food and drink scene, and the best film and food movies of 2021. But I'm also adding another section to the Film and Food Awards this year, and this is called Chris's Favourites. Now, I don't have time to talk about all my favourite performances and all my favourite pieces of music and all of my favourite things from movies in this episode, but I want to mention some of my favourites, my favourite score of the year, my favourite production design, my favourite performances, all of the things that often don't get a mention. I just want to quickly give a shout out to my favourites in all of those different categories. So we're going to do the Film and Food Awards first, then we're going to do Chris's favourites, and then we're going to move into my top 10 films of 2021. All right, without further ado, let's move into the 2021 Film and Food Awards. Well, as a year of film and food, I would say it was maybe on par with last year, which was slightly disappointing. As always, there was a few movies that stood out, but most of the films maybe featured a tiny bit of food, but not as much as we've been used to seeing. However, I do find myself with more nominees than last year, and I do think I've crafted a very good representation of the year so far. Remember, I haven't watched everything, so if I'm missing something, please let me know on social media or send me an email. I'd love to hear about something that I missed, but for what I watched in the film year of 2021, these are my nominees in all of the categories. So let's start off with Best Food. Now, this category... I found tough to fill up the nominees because while there was lots of great food and drink scenes, as we're going to find out later in this award show, there wasn't many significant standout food dishes that instantly make you want to eat what is on the plate. However, I do think I've got some good nominees. So the first nominee is Lemon Curd from Boiling Point. In the film Boiling Point, At one point in the one-shot extravaganza of a film that this movie is, there is a scene where the chef goes around to the baking section, to the dessert section, and tastes some of the lemon curd, which he doesn't find up to scratch, and so asks for something else to be added to make it great. And then when he goes back, it tastes exquisite, enough that he has spoonful after spoonful of tasting. And I love lemon curd. I definitely wanted to try out the lemon curd in this movie. The second nominee comes from the movie Pig, and it is the dish that Nicolas Cage cooks at the end of the film 
pigeon with foraged wild mushrooms and huckleberries. Now, I've never eaten pigeon, but Nicolas Cage is a, such a good chef in this movie. He commands the respect of everyone he comes across. I'd be so, so willing to sit down and eat this meal. I'm not even a wine drinker, but apparently the wine he chooses is also excellent. So that is the second nominee. Now we've got two more nominees and they're both from the film Julia, the documentary about Julia Child. And I could have picked lots of nominees from this movie because they recreate a lot of her famous dishes. But the first nominee is Soul Cooked in Butter, which is one of the most simple dishes and famously is the fish dish that first wowed Julia Child. It was the first thing she tried when she moved to France with her husband. And it's what made her fall in love with French cooking and then inspired her love to create her book and her TV show, which transformed America and the world in terms of changing our diets and the way we cook. The second one is roast beef and roast potatoes. And this comes towards more of the end of the documentary. And the roast beef is cooked like a medium on the outside and this beautiful pink on the inside. The potatoes, they walk you through how to make these beautiful potatoes. They're blanched and they're scratched with a fork and that means they soak up all of the juices in the pan and create this mouth-watering roast beef and potatoes that anybody would want to eat. And so that is another nominee. Finally, I'm going to chuck a fun nominee in there. I didn't really know where to put this, but in the movie Don't Look Up, which wasn't my favorite movie of the year, improvised by Timothy Chalamet, where he says, I love fingling potatoes. And just his delivery of that line in the grocery store, as they're all creating this meal before the end of the world happens, is just so outrageously funny in a movie that I found uh, had a definite up and ups and downs in terms of making me laugh. So out of all of these nominees, my winner goes to Roast Beef and Potatoes from the film Julia. She changed everything. She really knew what she was doing. Terrific technique. She just seemed so unpretentious. Well, that didn't go very well. She was giving you this opportunity to say, don't be afraid of failure. And here it is. When you cook, you give your love. Now, I really wanted to pick another choice here, but I'm going to give the movie Pig some love in another category. And so I'm going to give it to the roast beef and potatoes. I challenge anyone who has taste buds to watch the recreation of this iconic Julia Child dish and not want to completely gobble it up and go and make it themselves straight away. So in terms of pure food goodness displayed on the screen in 2021, congratulations, best food goes to roast beef and potatoes from Julia, the documentary. Okay, moving on to best drink a category that I found quite tough to fill out this year, and I've had to think quite creatively outside of the box. And so here are the nominees. The first nominee is Stephen Graham's water bottle from the movie Boiling Point. Now, I don't want to spoil the movie Boiling Point, but this water bottle stays close to Stephen Graham's side throughout the movie as he is the head chef and going about making his restaurant work. And we discover what is truly in the water bottle by the end of the film. And that is enough to get it a nominee for the Best Drink Award in this year's awards. The second nominee 
goes to recycled sweat from the movie Dune. Now, I know what you're thinking. How is this best drink? Well, I'm thinking creatively outside of the box. And in the movie Dune, they are all... The House Atreides people are all living on the planet Arrakis, where water is so scarce that if you are like one of the Fremen living out in the desert, you need to have a still suit, which recycles the sweat you lose as you are in the heat and desalinizes it so that you can drink it again so that your body doesn't lose moisture in the harsh desert. So that's a pretty funny one, but I'm including it here because I think it is a creative drink and deserves to be in the best drink category. My next nominee is a lot nicer. It is tea in the movie Nine Days. This is a favorite drink of the character played by Benedict Wong. And we know that the main character in the movie is not a huge fan of drinking or eating. And so tea plays this nice role in welcoming the other lost souls into the house as they audition per se to try and get born into real life. And so tea is a communal drink used in this film, used quite sweetly, and so it gets a nominee for best drink. Finally, just like last year, I had a category for all the movies about alcoholics. Well, this year was another year of movies where alcoholics feature highly. So, for the films, Nightmare Alley, Boiling Point, and The Power of the Dog, and I'm sure I'm missing some, they all get a nominee for being films about alcoholics. And the winner for best drink goes to Stephen Graham's water bottle from the film Boiling Point. This is your fault. You don't turn up on time. You don't do the audit. You come in sneaking a food. It was hard to pick a winner here, but I think the creative way they use this water bottle uh, that starts off as just an innocent companion but becomes a main part of the plot throughout the film is worthy of it getting a win here so congratulations to the film boiling point for your win for best drink in the year 2021 okay now we come to the most stacked category of the 2021 film and food awards which is best food or drink scene and we have a lot of nominees to get through there was a surprising amount of great food and drink scenes where food and drink was featured heavily in the movie so let's state the nominees. The first nominee is the aforementioned Last Supper scene in the film Don't Look Up. Now, if you don't want to be spoiled about the film Don't Look Up, this is a mild spoiler, but you kind of know that the film is about the end of the world. And so in this Last Supper dinner scene, our characters have created one last meal to eat together to share together before the asteroid comes and destroys the planet this is the part of the film that i find most effective the final segment of the movie where the tone and the tone gets so earnest and also so sinister and we feel the full gravity and weight of what the humans have done to get themselves in this situation and so there's a touching scene where timothy chalamet prays there's some great lines from Leonardo DiCaprio, and it's all centered around this food and this drink and this dinner, and it's one of the most effective scenes of the year. The next nominee is the very short scene in the film Nine Days, where Zazie Beetz's character knocks on the door of Winston Duke's character and is eating a peach, and they have this great discussion about eating food and... Winston Duke doesn't eat food because he doesn't feel hungry. And Zazie Beats replies and says, well, that's not really the point 
of eating and it summarizes their characters up so well in their tension between their personalities and how they interact with each other and what happens by the end of the film it's a great little scene it's very short but it's worthy of a nomination here we have the fried chicken lunch in the power of the dog this is at the beginning of the film where benedict cumberbatch's character and his group of men come in to eat a meal from kirsten dunce and cody smith mcphee's restaurant per se and they create a fried chicken lunch and this is one of the scenes that sparks off the film and puts all of the plot beats into motion it is a tense scene it's a powerful scene it is worthy of a nomination the power of the dog the next scene is the pea soup and pearl scene from the film spencer now if you've seen the film spencer you know exactly what i'm talking about and i don't want to spoil you but in this scene pearls are used very creatively and very metaphorically to explain what Kristen Stewart is going through who plays Princess Diana in the film and I want to leave it at that but it is an excellent film and food scene. We've got another scene from Spencer which is her scene in the fridge where she is picking out on anything she can find. There's a vast array of beautiful food all laid out ready to go and she is just eating. It's a important moment for her character and it's an important moment in the plot of the story and it's another great scene. Now we're going to keep it moving here. We have the restaurant dinner scene from Pig. This scene comes halfway through the film and it is where Nicolas Cage reunites with one of the chefs who he taught and who worked for him many, many years ago in his own restaurant. Nicolas Cage gets to see his restaurant that he's working in now, and they have a incredibly powerful and beautiful conversation about the nature of cooking and about the nature of caring for things, and it's absolutely delightful. I'm going to give a nomination to the entire film of Boiling Point because it is shot exclusively in one continuous shot there's no gimmicks there's no hidden editing it was truly all filmed in one shot and so it's so hard to pin down one scene because it flows so quickly from one to the other from food to food from table to table from the front to the back of the restaurant the entire film you get a nomination then we have another scene from pig which is the dinner finale scene from pig and I've already mentioned it, but it's where Nicolas Cage recreates a meal for Alex Wolf's character and his dad. And it's beautiful, it's poignant, it's just utterly remarkable how food is used in this scene to break down walls. And instead of resorting to violence or to other devious strategies, food is used as almost a weapon to break down walls and to allow people to access their hearts and to access their emotions. It's a wonderful scene. Okay. Like I said, lots and lots of great scenes from the films of 2021, but what is going to be my best food and drink scene of 2021? Well, I'm giving it to the restaurant dinner scene from Pig. It's cutting edge. It's very exciting. Exciting. I mean, everybody loves it. You like cooking it? Absolutely. Derek, what was it you always used to talk about opening? Wasn't it a pub? Everyone loves it here. It's, this is a huge success. Why didn't you open your pub? I, 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 I don't 
room that I, I really wanted. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's just, it's such a long time ago. When I fired you, I asked you what you wanted to do. You said you have a few rooms upstairs. A real English pub. Did, did I, say, I say that? Yes. Nobody wants pubs around here. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, just a terrible investment. What was going to be your signature dish? Liver scotch eggs with a honey curry mustard. <laughs> They're not real. You get that, right? None of it is real. The critics aren't real. The customers aren't real. Because this isn't real. You aren't real. <laughs> okay. Derek, why do you care about these people? They don't care about you. None of them. They don't even know you. Because you haven't shown them. Every day you'll wake up and there'll be less of you. You live your life for them and they don't even see you. You don't even see yourself. We don't get a lot of things to really care about. Now, I don't want to spoil you, so if you haven't seen the movie Pig, maybe skip forward a couple of minutes, but I want to talk about this scene because it is the scene that made me put Pig in my top 10. It made me fall in love with this film. Like I already said, Nicolas Cage is on the search for his lost truffle pig. We find out he used to be a very, very, very influential chef in the Portland area over 15 years ago, and when his wife passed away, moved into the country to become a truffle hunter with his trusty pig. And so they've been searching for this pig for such a long time, it leads him into the restaurant of one of his former pupils, one of his former students that worked at his restaurant. And we find out who he fired for overcooking pasta. And so they are served, uh, so him and Alex Wolf are served this uh, very scientific scallop dish, very deconstructed, very of the new sort of wave of gastronomic cooking and then he asks for the chef and they engage in this kind of life-altering conversation. Nicholas Cage talks to him about why he's opening this kind of a restaurant, what he's doing. And the whole time the head chef is going, no, it's successful, it's successful, it's successful. And Nicholas Cage doesn't let up. His delivery is so empathetic and beautiful and patient. And he asks, you told me you were going to open a pub and you told me about your signature dish and you just watch over the course of this conversation as the head chef is released from the shackles of the chef world that he's living in where he's trying to win the expectations of people who Nicolas Cage says doesn't care about him. They don't care about him at all. By the end of the scene, there's this one line where Nicolas Cage says, we don't get a lot of things to care about in life. And that line summarizes the whole film and it encourages every single person to grab onto your dreams, to not sell out to win success, but to do the things that you care about. Because if you care about something, that itself is a gift. And for this absolutely wonderful treasure of a scene, I'm giving it the award. It is the restaurant dinner scene from Pig. It is the winner of the best food and drink scene of the year. And I'm going to be talking about Pig a bit later. Spoiler alert. But let's move on to our final category, the best film and food movies of 2021. 
I've got four nominees for you. We have the film Julia, which is the documentary about Julia Child and her life. We have the film Pig, which I've already mentioned a lot about. Nicolas Cage is on the search for his stolen pig. We have the film Spencer, a quasi-biopic ghost story about Princess Diana and her and her three-day Christmas stay with the royal family. And we also have the film Boiling Point, which is the one-shot movie set in a busy restaurant on one of the busiest nights of the year. All excellent film and food movies, all probably worthy of their own film and food review episode. But there is only one winner, and that, for me, is Pig. I remember every person I ever served You live your life for them, and they don't even see you. You don't even see yourself. Pig is my best film and food movie of 2021. And funnily enough, that is two years in a row where a movie where the animal is named in the title has won this award. We had First Cow last year, and now we've had Pig Will this streak continue? Who knows? We'll find out in the 2022 Film and Food Awards. But thanks for listening, and what a great group of nominees. So go and check those out if you want some great film and food. All right, before we move on to my top 10, I want to talk about Chris's favorites. This is just a chance for me to go through some miscellaneous categories and name some of my favorite things. So, I want to give some miscellaneous awards out first. The movie with the best food title goes to Licorice Pizza. The award for movies with women running goes to Nightmare Alley, Spencer, The Worst Person in the World, and The Power of the Dog. And now, some favorites. My favorite film score of the year. I pretty much exclusively listen to film scores apart from some other worship music that I listen to. So this is always a favorite for me every year. I've given this award as a tie. The first winner is Hans Zimmer for the film score of Dune. Of course, Hans Zimmer is my favorite composer of all time. I've seen him live in concert twice, and I was so excited for his Dune score, and he did not let me down. Of course, it went on to win his second Oscar. It is searing, it's scorching, it's powerful. It's a new thing for him, combining some of the things he's done before, but bringing a new flavor. It feels different. It feels like you're entering a different world, and I just absolutely love it. It's grown on me the more that I've listened to it. And I think without it, the film wouldn't be as electrifying as it is. So, well done, Hans Zimmer. My second award winner for favorite score is Antonio Pinto for the score for Nine Days.
This is a absolutely exquisite score, which uses a lot of strings and a lot of violin, and it carries this ethereal energy that matches the ethereal tone of the film and, and the sci-fi setting that this film takes place in. I, I, I've been playing it on repeat ever since I've listened to it, and it evokes this kind of deep philosophical mood in me. And so I absolutely love that score as well. Okay, my favorite musical of the year. There's been lots of great musicals that have come out this year, and it probably is a bit of a spoiler for what's going to be in my top 10. My favorite musical is In the Heights. My favorite costumes of the year. Who doesn't love great gowns? My favorite costumes of the year goes to the film Cruella. An absolutely fun, pretty harmless movie. But Jenny Bevan absolutely brings it here with some fantastic costumes. Of course, you've got the dress that lights on fire and changes. You've got the garbage dress. You've got everything that Emma Thompson wears. Fantastic. And also the costumes for Spencer. These are by Jacqueline Duran, two-time Oscar winner, and everything that Princess Diana wears in this movie is exquisite, as you'd expect for a princess. So those are my favorites. My favorite cinematography of the year goes as a tie to Dune and The Power of the Dog. These are both films where the location and the scale of the cinematography is what makes it stand out for me. So in The Power of the Dog, the location where they film this movie, the mountains and the claustrophobia of the inside compared to the expansive cinematography of the outside is just extremely powerful and I really love it. I also love the cinematography for Dune, the scale of the ships and the scale of the planets and the way they film the worm, and the way they use this evocative cinematography with how Paul reaches into the water and reaches into the sand, and the shot when they go up the hill and see the destruction that's happening. So many amazing shots in that movie, and this shows my bias, because I'm Australian, and both of the cinematographers, Greg Frazier and Ari Wegner, are Australian, but that is still my favourites. My favorite scene of the year, just an individual scene from 2021. I could name lots, but I'm going to name you three. There's a spice harvester scene in Dune. You can see the spice scattered over the surface. A rich spice bed by the color. If you get a little higher, you'll have a better view. Spotter aircraft looking for worm sign. Worm sign? A sand wave moving toward the crawler. Worms travel deep but get closer to the surface when they attack. You know exactly what I'm talking about if you've seen that film. Perfectly directed, perfectly edited, perfectly scored, brilliant visual effects. I don't know what else to say except that scene is perfection. There's the riding the bike scene from Nine Days.
Again, if you've seen the film, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The song they choose to go along with that, the way that they make that bike scene happen in the film, it's beautiful, it's heartbreaking, it's powerful, uh, it's wonderful. And finally, I want to mention the cigarette scene in The Power of the Dog, which is near towards the end of the film. If you've seen the film, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's the aha moment for me where I start to realize what Cody Smith McPhee is really up to in the film. Phil, I've... I've got Rawhide to finish the rope. You got it. What are you doing with Rawhide? I cut some up. I wanted to be like you. Please take it up, God. My favorite song of the year is every single song from Bo Burnham's special, Inside. I couldn't pick one. They're all absolutely fantastic. Everything he writes, every song he does in that movie is fantastic. So that's my favorite song. My favorite lead performances of the year go to Nicolas Cage in Pig and Renata Reinsver for The Worst Person in the World. And my favorite supporting performances is Troy Kotzer in Coda and Zazie Beetz in Nine Days. Well, there you have it. That is my favorites of 2022. I hope that gives you a bit more of an idea of what I enjoyed from the film year. Of course, there's some things that I haven't watched. We'll get to that in just a second. But it's been a great year and I've really, really enjoyed all the films that have I've watched that have come out this year. So finally, let's move on to my top 10 films of 2021. This was, as always, a hard list to make, and I'm going to reiterate, it's not about the order, it's not really even about what is above what and really analyzing all of that. This is just my chance to tell you about my 10 favorite movies of the year why you should go watch them and why movies are awesome and why you should keep watching movies because movies are empathy machines. We as humans are storytellers. We understand life through story. We can understand other people's perspectives. We can grow as human beings, can change and learn. Movies are great. So this is my chance to tell you about some movies. Maybe you've seen them and maybe you relate to me or maybe you haven't seen them or maybe you don't like them, but this is my chance to tell you about my 10 favorite movies. However, there were some movies I didn't watch. As I said, my time and my priorities are not always watching movies all the time. I want to take care of my family, want to spend time with my daughter, and I work full time. So here are some movies that I didn't watch that came out in the year 2021, and that could definitely be on my list if I saw them. There's Licorice Pizza, Drive My Car, Summer of Soul, the Lost Daughter, Being the Ricardos, Titan, Mass, Flea, Come On, Come On, Red Rocket, The Tragedy of Macbeth, The Last Jewel, and No Time to Die. Of course, I'm going to get a chance to watch all of those movies at some point. Some of them haven't come out yet in Australia. Some of them I missed when they came out in the cinema windows and they're not yet available to stream. But I want to get a chance to watch all of those. Um, If you want to stick with my top 10, 
as it moves on, as I get to watch more and more movies. You can follow me on Letterboxd. I don't always plug my Letterboxd, but it is a social media for recording all the movies you watch, creating lists, and I'm going to leave a link in the show notes if you want to follow me along. You'll get to see what movies I'm watching. You'll get to see what I'm doing with my lists and stay updated. So go check out my Letterboxd if you want to do that. Otherwise, let's move on to my top 10 films of 2021. I want to get to some honorable mentions first. There were so many great films that came out. I just want to quickly mention some great films that I saw that didn't quite make my top 10. The first one is Passing. Passing really, really surprised me. I heard mixed reviews coming out of the festivals. This is Rebecca Hall's directorial debut starring Tessa Thompson and Ruth Negger. And this story, the cinematography, the performances absolutely blew me away. It was really subtle in its direction, but the story really brewed and simmered and I could really feel the momentum of the film and the story as it went along. Ruth Negger gives an absolutely stunning performance. She is doing flawless accent work. She is doing a flawless performance, as well as Tessa Thompson. It just somehow missed my top 10, and I really recommend you go and check it out. It's a short film. It's only 98 minutes. It's on Netflix. Go check it out. Another honorable mention for me, it's my number 11 film, is Boiling Point. Boiling Point was a non-stop anxiety-inducing ride for someone who's never worked in a kitchen before. I could feel every piece of anxiety riddling up. I could feel every single emotion, every single anger, every single flair and temper, every single annoyance that happened in that film. And that was exquisite filmmaking. And maybe I'll never want to watch it again, but I definitely want to recommend you go and see it at least once. It's Boiling Point. Go and check it out. Quickly, I want to mention some other films that I really, really enjoyed. I really enjoyed the new West Side Story, just didn't make my top 10. Really liked Guillermo del Toro's Nightmare Alley. Somehow, even though I like him as a director, his movies never quite make my top 10. I really liked Andrew Garfield and Tick, Tick, Boom. The film was a really good start for Lin-Manuel Miranda, just didn't make my top 10. King Richard was great. Belfast was great. I really liked The Green Knight. I Maybe on a second watch, I could see it again. And I'll probably leave it there. Those are probably my honorable mentions for my top 10. So let's move on to my number 10 film of 2021, which is The Rescue. I mean, clearly John has a son and then I haven't got children. I've structured my life to avoid children as much as possible. But John is a cub master, so he's used to dealing with groups of children. Say thumbs up. Say yay. Yay. He got them to do a motivational exercise. Everybody say yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Say say hello Americans. Hello Americans. Hello Thai Navy. Hello Thai Navy. Say hello Australians. Hello Australians. Hello Chinese. Hello Chinese. And thank you everybody else. And thank you everybody else. Okay, we see you soon. As we left, pretty much all of them came and hugged us individually. I made them a promise that I would come back. In 2018, I was blown away by Jimmy Chin and Elizabeth Chai Vasaheli's previous film, Free Solo. That film also made my top 10, and so I was extremely excited for what they would be bringing us here with The Rescue. 
Most of you would be familiar with the story. It follows the events around the Thai boys soccer team that got trapped in a cave in 2018. And it follows the 16 day rescue mission it took to rescue all of these boys out from the caves. Of course, if you know anything about this story, you know that it is one of the most powerful stories of the human will, of human cooperation, of human strength and dignity and the power of the human spirit, both to survive and also to rescue and to think and to plan and to come up with a way of saving these children. It's one of the most brilliant, heartwarming, amazing stories of humanity that have come out. It's a story of both terror and of hope. And an interesting part of this story is that while these directors were making the film, Netflix was able to get the rights for a live action film directed by Ron Howard for the story of the actual boys in the soccer team from the story from their perspective. So you'll notice in this film that there are no interviews or talking heads with the boys in the story. It is all from the perspective of the rescuers. Nonetheless, this is still completely, utterly fascinating, terrifying, transporting, and just completely riveting. The way they made this film boggles my mind. They had to do a lot of the interviews through COVID remotely. They had to recreate scenes. They finally got a chance when travel was allowed to go to Thailand to do some more filming, which made the film seem more complete. And they used a lot of obvious archival footage to piece together the story of how this all happened. And I don't want to spoil too much except to say that these two directors are absolutely exceptional documentary filmmakers that you'll be on the edge of your seat laughing and crying and just absolutely wowed and amazed throughout this whole journey. And I highly recommend everybody go and check it out because it is one of the most amazing human stories to ever, ever happen. You will be, you'll be in disbelief about how all of this came about, how these boys got rescued. So do yourself a favor and go and check this one out. If you're in Australia, it's streaming on Disney Plus right now, so you have no excuse to go and check out The Rescue. Okay, my number nine film for 2021 is Coda. Crowds. I've looked at a life that way. But now, old friends, they're acting strange. They shake their heads, they say, I've changed. Well, something's lost, but something's gained in living every
Coda shocked a lot of people when it roared into being the frontrunner for Best Picture after The Power of the Dog dominated the award season. This was an unlikely story for a film that premiered at Sundance at the beginning of 2021 and was bought by Apple TV+. Plus. The story of a family consisting of three deaf people and one Coda, or a child of a deaf adult. The mum and dad, played by Marley Matlin, played by Troy Kotzer. The older brother, also deaf, played by Daniel Durant. And the hearing daughter, played by Amelia Jones, Ruby. This story follows Ruby as she juggles working for her family's fishing business, going to school, being a translator for her family, as well as her new ambitions to be a singer and to study music in Boston. And this film may be the least technically accomplished film on my list. It's fairly standardly shot, it's fairly linear in its storytelling, but oh my goodness if this is not a completely earnest film. You don't get many films like this that are so genuinely heartfelt, that are so compassionate and tender and heartwarming and just show such a positive picture of family. And now this film isn't completely soppy or cheesy. Of course, it does show the nuances of what a character like Amelia Jones would have to go through when she is dealing with all of the parts of being a teenager, all of the struggles of having to work for her family, go to school, be the main translator for her family, as well as trying to discover her passions in life. My goodness, I fell under the spell of this movie. I cried multiple times. There's two scenes towards the end where I was just com a complete mess. And also the performances in this film are maybe the strongest thing about it. It has an exceptional cast. I absolutely love the signing in this movie. The, the sign language is just completely amazing. The way it is used for humor, the way it is used to build character, the way it is used at the end of the film by Amelia Jones' character is so powerful. And it's just great. Not every film needs to be a technical masterpiece to make my top 10. And I have a heart. I'm a parent now. And so as I watched this movie, I could feel my heartstrings being pulled. And it's just a movie you could sit down with anyone and just really, really enjoy. Have a good time. Have a good cry. And you'd feel really good heading out of it. And my goodness, in the year 2022, don't we need some more of those films? So, well done, Coda, for being my number nine film of 2021. This is on Apple TV+, Plus, ready to stream right now, so please go and give it a watch. Okay, moving on to my number eight film of 2021, which is the Danish film, The Worst Person in the World. Let's go, Pada. Okay. Okay. Hold it. Hold it. Wow, this was a ride. I'd heard lots and lots of good things about this movie, directed by Joachim Trier, and the international feature submission at the Oscars for the film Denmark. It got nominated for Best International Feature as well as for Best original screenplay at the Oscars. Both of those nominations are completely well deserved. In this movie we follow Julie who is a nearly 30 year old woman who is dealing with the ups and downs of her life and she's dealing with relationships, she's dealing with her own feelings, her own career path in life, what she really wants to do, who she really wants to be. It's a movie about turning 30 essentially 
And there is a lot more to it than that, but I desperately want you to go and check this movie out before I spoil too much more of the plot. What I love about this movie are the two central performances from Renata Reinsver, who plays Julie, and Anders Danielson Lee, who plays a love interest of Julie. Over the course of the film, told through 12 chapters with a prologue and an epilogue, you feel like you witness almost a lifetime of relationship between these two characters, when in reality, it may only been a year or two. And what is so perfectly captured in this film is the reality of being in your 20s, of trying to work out what you want to do, of who you want to be, of people around you already being married or already knowing what career path they want to be on, while you're still struggling about what you want to do. Julie in this film is definitely a wanderer. She follows her heart. She does what she wants to do, but you realize that she has these deeper convictions, these deeper things that she wants. She's torn between the freedom, I guess, she wants in her life, as well as the steadiness that comes with a character like Axel, played by Anders Danielson Lee, compared to another love interest in the story. This film at some point is utterly romantic. This film at points is utterly devastating. But the portrait of the characters in this film, the writing, the direction, the cinematic techniques they use, there's a scene in the middle of the film where I'll just say everything stops, which kind of took my breath away. But most importantly, the performances took my breath away. I thought I was watching real life people in a real life relationship, and that is what is nailed so well in this film. The dynamics of relationship, the dynamics of life, and there's a sort of quality that comes from the film that is very hard to describe but you know by the end of the movie that you have you know you're kind of sitting there knocked out you know you've seen something completely great and so go and check out the worst person in the world i rented this on amazon prime it was pretty cheap so go and check that out if you can please don't be distracted by subtitles international cinema is a place where you can find a rich treasure trove of brilliant brilliant films so please go and give The Worst Person in the World a go. My number eight film of 2022. Okay, my number seven film of 2022 is Nine Days. Hi, Amanda. Hey, honey. Laundry's done. Amanda. No, 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 no.
Good, 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 good. All right, good job, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow at 5 p.m. So eat well, rest well, and if anyone has any problems, don't let me know. Boy, oh boy, nine days just blew me away. The story of me actually watching this film is pretty funny. I It's been on my radar. I hadn't necessarily been seeking it out before making this list. But as my wife and I went into the library with our daughter the other day, I saw that it was available for a 10-day rental and thought, why not? I will give it a watch. And I popped it in and I gave it a watch. And I feel like it's almost one of those films that it has the capacity to change your life, to change your output on life. And that's because of the story it is telling. And the story follows this reclusive man played by Winston Duke who conducts a series of interviews with human souls for a chance to be born. It's basically all set in this house in the middle of this sort of what looks like a desert or a salt flat surrounded by mountains. Uh, it's this house in the basically in the middle of nowhere in this sort of mystical, ethereal other world. And so it's this low-budget, independent sci-fi film directed by Brazilian director and writer Edson Oda. And this premise, which may seem like it's been done before, is just mined to such incredible effect in this film. It has some great, great supporting characters. Like I said... Zazie Beetz is probably my favorite supporting actress role of the year. Her, without, If she doesn't nail her role of this sort of free spirit, this person, this soul who just absolutely loves life, suck the marrow out of the bones of life, then she wouldn't be right for the role counteracting with the reclusive and withdrawn Winston Duke. It's also always great to see Tony Hale in a film who, of course, played Buster in Arrested Development. And his role here is surprisingly heartbreaking and powerful. And I just loved the depths of humanity he was able to mine in this film. I've already mentioned it has a brilliant score by Antonio Pinto that just carries the movie. The storytelling is so unique and powerful, and it just examines life. It examines why we live. The scenes where Winston creates human experiences for these souls are some of the most powerful pieces of cinema that I've seen in years. And this film has the capacity to bring you to tears. It has the capacity for you to reflect on life, for you to want to go and live out life as much as you possibly can, to not live in the mistakes of your past, to not think about why you're being held back or why people are not treating you the way you want to be treated, but to just enjoy the gift that is life. And I love a life-affirming sci-fi film. It has an absolutely glorious ending. It has this gorgeous cinematography. And it's a film I'm going to be thinking about for a long, long time. I highly recommend you check it out. It's available to rent on Apple TV+. Plus. You can go and buy this on DVD or Blu-ray right now. Please, please, please give it a go. It's nine days and it's my number seven film of 2021. My number six film of 2021 is Denis Villeneuve's Dune. By the grace of Shaddam IV of House Carino, 
ascendant to the golden lion throne of Padisha, emperor of the known universe, I stand before you as herald of the change. We're witnessed by members of the Imperial Court, representatives of the Spacing Guild, and a sister of the Bene Gesserit. The Emperor has spoken. House Atreides shall immediately take control of Arrakis and serve as its steward. Do you accept? We are House Atreides. There is no call we do not answer. There is no faith that we betray. The Emperor asks us to bring peace to Arrakis. House Atreides accepts. It says a lot of the quality of cinema that has come out this year that Denis Villeneuve's amazing film Dune didn't make the top spot of my list. His film Arrival is one of my favorite movies that came out of 2016 and one of my favorite movies of all time. And I was really, really, really looking forward to Dune. Of course, this is a novel that has been especially hard to adapt for filmmakers. And we know that Denis has sort of split this into two parts, Dune Part 1 and Dune Part 2. But oh, what a start to a journey. This reminded me of Fellowship of the Ring in the technical craft and the promise of a brilliant franchise to come. That was maybe the letdown that stopped this from being in my top five was that I did feel that the script didn't give me as much as I wanted in that it had to leave me wanting more for a part two and it left probably some of the better parts of the book for the second part of the story. There was a lot of exposition, there was a lot of setting up in this first part but nevertheless Denis Villeneuve absolutely brings his A-game into bringing this setting up type film, making it so electric and alive. I've already talked about how Hans Zimmer absolutely rocks the score here. Every part of the craft from Greg Frazier's cinematography to the costumes by Jackie West, to the makeup on Stellan Skarsgård, to the production design, the visual effects which are completely flawless, and this beautiful blend of practical and computer-generated imagery, the performances by Timothy Chalamet, by Rebecca Ferguson, by Javier Bardem, by Stellan Skarsgård, by Oscar Isaac, by Stephen McKinley Henderson, by Jason Momoa. Everybody in this cast brings their absolute A-game and you get so immersed in this world. Denis as a director is unmatched in sort of creating a mood and a world and he really builds this family up, the Atreides family and really sort of hints at their fall and sets all the things up for this film where from beginning to end you leave the characters on this sort of hinge point ready to launch off into Dune Part 2. I love the scale and the size of this film. I loved some of the set pieces. I'm a sci-fi nerd. I love the world building. I loved the I love the magic and the spice and the use of the voice and all of these things, the Fremen, all of these things that make up this world, which is so fascinating to me and so well put onto the screen that anything Denis Villeneuve does, he does very, very well. And I already own Dune. It's one of my favorite movies of the year. And I really, really recommend you give it a go if you haven't seen it already. It's available to rent. It's available to buy. Get a copy. 
sit down and watch and be blown away by the cinematic marvel that is Dune. Okay, time to move into my top five films of 2021. And at number five, we have my favorite animated movie of the year, which is Mitchell's vs. the Machines. Who here likes fun? Hey, I like fun. Trust me, bud. You do not like fun. No, I really do like it. Everyone says that about me. You lucky human. <laughs> Yay! Wow, I wish I could be in there. I don't like fun anymore! Who else wants to join him? Stay low and file up. All right, everyone, get to the car. I don't think so. Oh, what do you want to see? I know why we're yelling, but I think, I think there's a better way. Guys, need. stop. What would a functional family do right now? We've trained for this. Jim, you go high, I'll go low. Ready? I love you all so much. Ah, butterfly formation. Yeah. Yeah. Ha! Oh. Ah, family first. Of course, Encanto was the movie that took the world by storm this year, with We Don't Talk About Bruno absolutely dominating the music charts, and for good measure, it's a great movie, has some great songs, but it wasn't the movie that made my top 10. Instead, it was the film The Mitchells vs. Machines, which had which is directed by Michael Reanda and has executive producers Christopher Lord and Phil Miller. Christopher Lord and Phil Miller did the film Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, and the absolutely unique animation style that that movie has is sort of brought back for Mitchells vs. the Machines. It's this chaotic, sometimes over-the-top, frantic, manic style of animation that is so, so conducive to the story that's being told. It's so expressive, it's so different, and it's a breath of fresh air for watching animated films and how they are told. So the story is about a quirky, dysfunctional family when their road trip is upended when they find themselves in the middle of the robot apocalypse and suddenly become humanity's unlikeliest last hope. What I love about this family is that they are a real family, that the dad's a bit of a dork and the mum is a bit over the top and the daughter loves films and the son loves dinosaurs and they all have their loves and they all have their disagreements, but the way that they're able to work together and grow together over the course of the film is so, so beautiful to watch. The humor in this film. This film is maybe the funniest movie of the year. It's so great having Olivia Coleman voicing the head robot in this film. There is some absolutely hilarious gags regarding the dog in the film, and it's, and it's just absolutely hilarious. It feels like there's maybe three jokes a second and there's jokes that you're going to miss on the first watch. But this over-the-top style just suits the film so well. There's some great set pieces. There's some great dialogue. It's extremely, extremely fun. I walked out of this film feeling like I'd had the most fun in years, that I'd laughed a lot. I love the animation style. I love the story. I felt emotions and I was like, this is what I want my animated films to be. And I haven't really stopped thinking about it since. And I really wish more people would give it a go. It's streaming on Netflix right now. Pop it on and give it a go. And I think you will be as blown away as I was. So please go and check out The Mitchells versus The Machines. Okay, my number four movie of 2021 is In the Heights. 96,000. 
Dollars? Holla! 96,000. That's a lot of spray cans. 96,000. Yo, if I won the lotto tomorrow, well, I know I wouldn't bother going on no spending spree. I pick a business school and pay the entrance fee. And maybe if you're lucky, you'll stay friends with me. I'll be a businessman richer than Nina's daddy. Tiger Woods and I on the links, and he's my caddy. My money's making money. I'm going from pole to modo. Keep the bling. I want the brass ring like Proto. Mr. Braggadocio, next thing you know, you lying like Pinocchio. Oh, yo, if you scared of the bulls, stay out the rodeo. Oh, I got more flows than Obi-Wan Kenobi, oh. You better stop rapping, you not ready. It's gonna get hot and heavy, and you already sweat. Yo, yo, yo. Yo, yo, I'm sorry, was that an answer? Shut up, go home, and pull your damn pants up. Oh. As for you, Mr. Frodo of the Shire, what? 96 G's ain't enough to retire. Come on, I have enough to knock your ass off his axis. You'll have a knapsack full of jack after taxi. 96,000. Ay, alabanza. 96,000. Oh, me diga. 96,000. I never win shit. 96,000. For real though, I how it feel going real slow. Down the highway of life with no regrets. And no breaking your neck for respect or a paycheck. Last year, the filmed recording of the play Hamilton made it really, really high up my list. I think it was number two. And so I was very excited when the director of Crazy Rich Asians, John M. Chu, was directing the film version of In the Heights, which was Lin-Manuel Miranda's first play. And of course, this wasn't a filmed version of the play, but instead just a completely new film based off his play. And of course, the story is about Uznavi, a bodega owner who has mixed feelings about closing his store and retiring to the Dominican Republic or staying in Washington Heights. The film stars Anthony Ramos, Corey Hawkins, Leslie Grace, Melissa Barrera, Olga Meredith, Mark Antony, and, and Stephanie Beatrice. Wow, 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 did this movie blow me the heck away. I hadn't seen the original play. I had even kept myself from listening to the soundtrack on Spotify so that I could come into this movie completely fresh. And if you watch the first 15 minutes of this film, I don't know how you can't fall in love. Lin-Manuel Miranda's songs are very notoriously wordy. They move to this unique beat and they're incredibly fun. He's a musical genius. That's why his plays have been so successful and his work writing songs in movies, but the opening 15 minutes is what I imagined a Lin-Manuel Miranda song is in cinema. It uses this incredible, incredible editing to paint a picture of what life is like for Uznavi and his community in Washington Heights. By the end of the 15 minutes, you feel like you know so much about Uznavi and his story and the story of the people around him and you are set up for a fantastic, fantastic movie. Of course, there are other amazing musical numbers, including the including the 900,000 musical number in the pool. And of course, the song sung by Abuela, played by Olga Meredith, towards the end of the film. 
which was maybe my favorite part of the movie. It got me crying. Olga Meredith deserved a lot more love this awards season. Her performance was spectacular and heartbreaking as the sort of adopted abuela of a lot of the young people in the film. What this story has is passion and energy and emotion, and it just is so full of life. It has this powerful message about a community standing strong together, about using their voice, about being united against the gentrification that is coming into their neighborhood. It has dynamic performances and beautiful editing and amazing production. The musical numbers are so great, and I just felt so invested in this story and so emotionally moved that by the end of the movie, I just wanted to go and watch it again. So please go and check this one out. I think it's streaming for free right now on Netflix. I'm sure you're going to love this film, so please go check it out in the heights. All right, now we're moving into the big guns, my top three. My number three film of 2021 is Pig. I came into Pig expecting a movie that was completely different to the one I got. Of course, the premise I've already mentioned in this episode, but it's this former chef who has moved out into the wilderness for a reclusive lifestyle where he and his pig hunt truffles and sell them for money, and one day his pig is stolen, so he and his business partner go on this journey to try and find the lost pig. And what is maybe promised in the trailer to be a revenge action thriller is more of a contemplative film along the lines of First Cow. Nicolas Cage gives maybe the best performance of his career. He is so subtle and subdued and quiet and you can feel the weight of many, many years of sadness sitting on his shoulders. But there are moments, like I've already mentioned in the restaurant dinner scene and other scenes talking to Alex Wolf's business partner character where his passion comes alive and you can just see what a sweet sensitive soul he is and just how much he cares for his pig and how much he cares 
for his cooking and for food and for the people around him. And their relationship between him and Alex Wolf is so beautiful. But what's most beautiful is that this is really a romance movie between Nicolas Cage and his pig. The love they share is so powerful that even though you only see the pig for the first few minutes of the film, you are utterly invested emotionally in every single part of the journey as they go and try and find this pig. You are so desperate along with the character, along with Nicolas Cage's character, to find this pig and you get so drawn into the story. You feel like you are Nicolas Cage's best friend. You feel like you want to learn from him. You feel like you want the best for him. You just get so emotionally drawn in. It has some sublime, gorgeous cinema. It has beautiful sound design and a lovely score. The way food is used in this movie is a way of breaking down walls, of healing old traumas, of coming to meet in the middle as human beings, rather than continuing cycles of revenge and power. And, it, and there's this monologue where Alex Wolf talks about this meal that Nicolas Cage recreates later on in the movie where for the first time in his life, his parents came home happy and that's all they could talk about forever. And that he, those parents remembered that meal for years and years and years. I love when Nicolas Cage says he remembers every single meal he made and every single person he has served. He truly lives up to when he says, you only truly care about a few things in life. He cares about food, he cares about serving people and he knows the power of food in people's life. And... Of course, it's a film and food movie. It's going to suck me in, but this is a special one. This is a beautiful one. This is a completely unique story, and it's sublime. I, I was so moved by it, and I really can't recommend it highly enough. So please go and watch Pig. I rented it on Amazon Prime. I think you can rent it on other places, but please go and do yourself a favor and go and watch Pig. Okay, my number two film of 2021 is Bo Burnham's Inside. You want to hear a funny story? So, uh, five years ago, I quit performing live comedy because I was beginning to have uh, severe panic attacks while on stage, which is not a great place to have them. So I, I quit, and I didn't perform for five years. I spent that time trying to improve myself mentally. And you know what? I did. I got better. I got so much better fact that in January of 2020, I thought, you know what, I should start performing again. I've been hiding from the world and I need to Are you feeling nervous? Are you having fun? 
It's almost over, it's just begun Don't overthink this, look in my eye Don't be scared, don't be shy Come on in, the water's fine You say the ocean's rising like I give a shit You say the whole world's ending Honey, it already did You're not gonna slow it, heaven knows you tried Got it good, now get inside Yep, this is two years in a row where my number two film goes to a movie that people were arguing whether or not it is a movie. Technically, last year, Hamilton was a recorded TV special, I guess you could say. And this year, Bo Burnham's Inside is technically a comedy special. But you know what? It's so dang cinematic that I am calling it a film. And it's making it on my list because it is my list. It's been so long since I first watched Bo Burnham's Inside. It was released sort of right as we were coming out of the first year of lockdown. And it is a film where he locked himself inside during the pandemic and recorded what was going on in there. Recorded a comedy special purely inside his house. And I know what you're thinking. How could this be interesting to watch? What would he have to say? And how on earth is this anything remotely cinematic that you'd want to watch. Well, never doubt Bo Burnham is what you should learn. After eighth grade, after all of the comedy specials he's done, after his performance in Promising Young Woman, the man is extremely talented. And in this, he gives us maybe the defining piece of art to do with the COVID pandemic. In fact, he never mentions the word COVID at all, making this film quite timeless in the way that it talks about the isolation, the crippling anxiety, the depression, and all of the things that he goes through mental health-wise in this movie that some of us will definitely relate to in our own experiences during the pandemic. Of course, it's a comedy special. Bo Burnham is a specially talented writer and musician, and so it is filled with absolute bops of songs. Some that are so upbeat, some that are parodies, some that are complete depressing ballads that somehow also move you so extremely powerfully. And that is what makes this film special, is Bo Burnham's vulnerability. He doesn't hold anything back. He doesn't shy away from any part of how he felt or what he was going through. He's willing to show the deep, deep darkness that he went through in the year of making this film, the struggles of wanting to get it out, the struggles of not knowing what to say, the struggles of coming to terms with the world that he's living in and the climate change and the pandemic and the shutdown and his own legacy and his own panic attacks in terms of coming back to stand-up comedy. It is a profound piece of filmmaking. It is a gift. It is a piece of vulnerable art that is both very funny and something that is very existential that will have you thinking and questioning and relating a lot to what he was going through and it's got the best songs of any movie this year so if you haven't checked this special out i recommend you go and do so the way he uses props the way he uses his camera and cinematography in this room will truly blow you away he transforms his room into so many different things and the what he's able to create in this room is quite astonishing and it's a feat worth checking out yourself. So please go and check out Bo Burnham's Inside. All right, here we are. My number one film of 2021 is Jane Campion's The Power of the Dog.
stand beside me, George. What's happening? Follow me. Left foot forward. One, two, three, into the side. One, two, three, and back. One, two, three, to the side Sorry, again. Sorry, I, I really three. can't. I really can't dance. <laughs> You're dancing. Here, this foot forward. Don't think. One, two, three, to the side. One, two, three, and back. One, two, three. I told you I'd teach you. Forward, two, three. Side, two. What is it, George? I just want to say how nice it is not to be alone. A lot has been said about the power of the dog. Some have called it boring, some have called it slow, some have called it strange. Maybe they're all valid criticisms. And my relationship with Jane Campion as a director is interesting myself. Only last year I watched The Piano for the first time, and while I admire it for its exquisite filmmaking, I found it hard to get on the same page with in terms of its storytelling. And for anyone who's watched a Jane Campion film, her mind is operating on a level that not many of us can operate on and she's willing to go there in terms of displaying parts of society that maybe we don't want to talk about and these complex characters that don't really fit into the boxes we want them to as audience members. But something really, really worked for me watching The Power of the Dog. When I first watched it, I was wondering where the film was going, but it's a film where once you reach the ending, you realize, oh, I'm sorry, but this is a masterpiece. The way that she puts together the film, in reality, what is a sort of mystery thriller with a twist ending, that she's able to hide in plain sight what the true meaning of the movie is, allowing people the chance to work it out while also not making a, a gimmick, is a fantastic piece of filmmaking that requires complete tonal control, complete control over the direction and the performances and the cinematography and every single part of filmmaking. The amazing location that they film this in in New Zealand completely looks like the Arizona desert. The expansive cinematography, the mountains, the location, I must say, is just breathtaking. There's some shots where you just aren't even watching the actors. You're just looking at the mountains and the performances. The performances have to be pitch perfect, otherwise this movie doesn't work. This features Benedict Cumberbatch's absolute career best work. It features a performance from Cody Smith-McPhee that has razor-thin margins of working or not working. If this performance doesn't work, the movie doesn't work. His character is complex, his character plays a very important role in the movie, and he absolutely nails it. 
Kirsten Dunst and Jesse Plemons are adorable as a couple in this film and Kirsten Dunst is, is able to bring great humanity and empathy to this woman who's going through a lot in this new marriage and the torment that she receives from Benedict Cumberbatch's character and Jesse Plemons is just his usual subtle beautiful self and brings a great role as well. The music by Johnny Greenwood is this great score that is very typical of Johnny Greenwood to have this strange melodies and all over the place type score that builds and crescendos and just plays such a great role in setting the tone of the film which is also strange and uneasy but I haven't had many moments watching a film this year that I felt when I finally worked out what this movie was about when it finally all clicked together for me towards the end of the film I was blown away I was astonished I completely wanted to watch the movie again and I realized that this was a perfect movie, that this story of power and love and repressed homosexuality and all of the things that it deals with is one of the finest achievements of the year. It is one of Jane Campion's best movies. I'm so glad she won Best Director at the Oscars. It's my favorite film. It's my number one film of 2021. Now, I know some people have watched this movie and have given up on it. I really encourage you, turn off your phone and dedicate two hours to watching this film. And if you don't like it, that is completely okay. I completely understand. But give it a go because for me, when everything fell together, I realized just how utterly perfect this film was. And it's my number one film of 2021. <music> Okay, well that about does it for this episode. My top 10 films of 2021, the second annual Film and Food Awards, including some Chris's favourites. What did you think of my top 10 list? I had an absolute blast sharing this episode with you. I loved all the movies on this list. So I want to hear your lists. Share them in the comments on social media. Send me an email. What are your top 10 lists? What did I miss out on? What did I have ranked too highly? What would you have put higher? What have you got on your list? What movies do I need to watch to make sure my top 10 is fully rounded up? Of course, we'll be back again in 2023, giving a top 10 for the films of 2022 and also giving the third annual Film and Food Awards out again. So stay tuned for that episode. Well, if you enjoy the Film and Food podcast, can I ask you a favor? Can you give it a five-star rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify? Your five-star ratings help us get up the rankings and get into the ears of people who need to listen to our show. So thank you to everyone who's left a review and thank you so much for your support. Be sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play. Wherever there's podcasts, you'll find us. Make sure you follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Join the conversation. We'd love to hear your thoughts about the top 10 and the Film and Food Awards. Make sure you email us. The address is fans at filmandfoodpodcast.com. That's fans at filmandfoodpodcast.com. Once again, we want to hear about once again we want to hear your thoughts about my list, about my awards. We want to hear your thoughts and your top 10 list and your awards and what did I miss? Let us know. The most important thing is to join the conversation. Until next time, goodbye and thanks for listening. <music>